0: Can I have everyone turn to First John 2? All right, it's gonna be 1 John 2, 12 through 28. All right, can I have everyone stand as I read these words? I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, Jill Turton, because you know the Father. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything that is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but instead from the world. The Father, the world is, and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Lord will live forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard from the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For they have belonged to us. Would they have remained with us? But their goings show that none of them have belonged to us. Be of an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. No one who denies the Father, the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing one you receive from him remains in you, but you do not need anyone to teach you. As, but as in his anointing teaches you about all things, and is that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, he may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You may be seated.
1: Uh, Grab those red or brown hymnals in front of you and turn to 495. Uh, Our scripture reading today finished with, with these words, And now, dear children, continue in him or abide in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed at his coming. 495 Would you sing verse three with me again? And Lord, hasten. children, remain in him, so that you may be confident and unashamed when he appears. Jesus is coming back, and we are called to abide in him until then. The NIV translates that word, that abide word, comes from the King James Version in John chapter 15. John uses that word to talk about the vine and the branches that we are called to abide in Christ. Here in 1 John chapter 2, he uses this word a few times, this abiding. And the NIV translates it a couple different ways. Sometimes it says, remain in Him, or continue in Him. In other words, don't get off track. Stay with Him. Don't lose confidence. Don't lose heart. Remain in him. Abide in him. Continue to stay with Jesus. Jesus is coming back, and we must be ready for his return. Earlier in this scripture, in John chapter 2, John says that this is the final hour. John, just like every other New Testament writer, tells us that we are living in the last hour. Other writers call it the end times or the last days. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples that he would return. And for the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have acknowledged that they are in the last days and that they must be ready at any time for his return. In Jesus' own ministry, he tells this story about ten bridesmaids who are waiting for a wedding to begin. And five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. Five of them were ready when it came time for the wedding feast, and five of them were not ready. Now, weddings in our day are much different than they were in Jesus' day. For us, um, six months, sometimes even nine months or a year, we get this invitation in the mail saying that the wedding is going to be on this day. And it's going to be at this time, and it's going to be in this place. And so we know, we put it on our calendars as good Westerners, this is where I'm going to be on that dot day, six months from now. Weddings were different in Jesus' day. It wasn't the case in that way. One of the elements of a wedding in Jesus' time is that the groom and the bride's father... As the wedding approached, and as the bride and groom were ready to get married, the, the groom and the bride's father, they would get together and they would have negotiations about the dowry. And sometimes these negotiations would go on for a really, really long time. And so the people knew that a wedding was coming sometime soon, but these negotiations had to be finished. And so sometimes they would wait, and they would wait, and they would wait, and finally the agreement would be made. And at that time, there would then be a procession from the groom's house throughout the town all the way to the place wherever the wedding was going to be held. And there was these uh, bridesmaids that had this responsibility to be at the head of that procession holding these lamps. And so they would walk through the town, and the town, as they saw these bridesmaids coming, as they saw this parade that began to gather, they knew, Ah, the wedding is about to happen. It's about to come. So this was their responsibility. These these ten bridesmaids had this one job to make sure that their lamps were ready. And in Jesus' story, there were ten bridesmaids, and five were foolish and five were wise. The the negotiations in this story went on too long, and five of the bridesmaids had not brought along extra oil, and so their lamps couldn't be lit. In the words of John, they were not confident and unashamed when the time came. Five of them were ready. They brought extra oil. They were ready whether the wedding came immediately or whether there was a long delay. They were ready either way. They did their job and they were invited into the feast while the five foolish bridesmaids were left outside. Friends, this is the final hour. We are in the time in between the resurrection of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. It is the last hour and we need to be ready. And the book of Revelation tells us that the last hour is a time of war. From the moment of the crucifixion and the resurrection, Satan knows, but he will not admit, that his days are numbered. And he is seeking in whatever way he can to make you like one of the foolish bridesmaids who wasn't ready. The evil one, in whatever way he can, is seeking to keep you from abiding in Christ and rather abiding in whatever else he can find. And this battle I wanted to suggest to you, as John talks about in John chapter two, 1 John chapter 2, is that this battle is taking place on two fronts, both in our minds as well as in our hearts. The first battle is in our minds. As believers, one of the ways that we can lose this battle as followers of Jesus is if we change our mind about Christ, if we stop believing that He is where salvation is found, that we would forget or ignore or reject the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that we stop believing that He is where salvation is found. In other words, John is talking about this danger that we would exchange the truth of God for a lie, that we would stop believing that Jesus is who he says he is for us and for the world. And he talks about remaining in the truth in verses 18 through 27. Here, John takes some time to address some false teachers that had come into the church that he was writing to. And these false teachers had come in and were trying to get people to believe something other than what they had been taught. And we don't know a lot about these teachers. I'm not going to talk a lot about them today, but there's, there's a few things that we know about them. The first thing that we know about them is that they used to be in the church. In verses 18 and 19, uh, John says they were among us, but then they went out from us, showing that they never really belonged to us in the first place. Second, we know that even though they had left the church, they were still kind of hanging around. They were still talking with people and trying to lead people astray. And we see that in in verse uh, 26, that they were talking to people and trying to lead people astray from the teaching that John and the apostles had given to them. And the third thing and the most important thing we need to know about these teachers is, is that they were teaching that Jesus was not the Christ. Verse 21 and 22, I do not write to you because you do know the truth Uh, because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. They were teaching people that Jesus was not the Christ, that he was not the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. We don't know what they were teaching. We don't know what they were saying about Jesus. Maybe they were saying Jesus was a a good moral teacher that you should follow, or or Jesus was just some good guy that would be a good good thing to pay attention to, but he's not the Christ. He's not where salvation is found. And Pastor John wanted to be sure that those under his care were confident at the return of Christ. That these teachers had come in and they had undermined the confidence that they had had at the beginning. And he wants the church to be confident on the day that he appears to know that Jesus is the Christ. But these teachers were causing doubt in their minds. This is an important message for us today. It was written to John's church in a particular situation with particular struggles and particular voices coming into their head, uh, telling them untruths and telling them lies. But this is an important message for us today because we have voices in our lives that tell us that our faith is foolish. Voices that tell us that there's no way that we can believe silly fairy tales about a dead man rising from the dead who is still alive today, 2,000 years later, and is coming back. He's not the Savior. He's not the Christ. There are many voices in our lives that tell us that Jesus is not where salvation is found. That tells us that the good life can be found somewhere else, in someone else, in something else. And so John writes this letter to that church in his day, and the message is the same for us, to remain in him, to abide in him, to continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ. One battle that is being fought in our lives is the battle of our minds, that we would stop believing, that we would no longer believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is where salvation is found. There's another battle that's taking place, and I want to spend a bit more time on this this morning because I think it's more subtle, and I think it's often more difficult for us to discern. I think in our own evangelical tradition, we focused a lot on that first battle, the battle of the mind. We understand the Christian life to be primarily about what we believe about what we think, about what we know. And that is, of course, true. Following Jesus is nothing less than that, but it's also more than that. And in 1 John chapter 2, John tells us that there is something more that we need to know, more than we need to live in the Christian life. It's not just what we know or think in our heads. It's also something that has to do with our hearts and about what we desire. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17. through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. John tells us here that our, the battle that's being fought is not only in our minds, not only whether or not we know the truth, but also in our hearts, what we desire, what we want. Because we don't only act according to what we believe or what we think about, we also act according to what we desire, what we love, what we want. Do you ever have that experience where you do things or you act in such a way that goes against the very things that you believe in your head? Or am I the only one? (laughs) We know this thing is bad for us, and yet we do it. We know that we ought to do this thing, and yet we don't do it. We know that if we walk in this particular way. Then it goes against everything that we believe in our heads about who Jesus is as our Lord and our Savior, as the one who died for us and who rose from the dead. It goes against everything that we believe in our head and yet we find ourselves doing it anyway. What is that about? Why does that happen? When there is a disconnect between what you know that you believe And what you do, it's because in your heart someplace there is a desire, a want, that is not yet in line with what you believe. And so John inserts this little section here to remind us that the Christian life, knowing God, is not only about what we think about in our heads, It's not only about knowing true things, it's also about our desires and that our desires that they would be directed in the right place. In particular, that our ultimate desire would be directed to the right person. The Bible tells us that all of our actions flow from our brains. No, all of our actions flow from our hearts. And so Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all other things, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, the things that you do in your life comes from your heart. The seat of your desires, the things that you want, truly want, not just say that you want or think that you want. Your actions come from your heart, because your heart is that place that tells you what you truly want. The heart is the wellspring of life. Our actions are a reflection, not only of our beliefs, The things that we know, our actions come from even a deeper place than that, from our heart, from the desires and wants of our hearts. Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, out of the overflow of our uh, mouths, the overflow of our hearts, uh, the mouth speaks. The good man brings up good things from the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings out evil things from the evil stored up in him. Mark chapter 7, 21 and 22. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. (laughs) All these evils come from inside a person. God doesn't only want you to think differently, He wants you to want differently. How often do we read a book or we uncover some amazing truths that really capture our minds and we think, yeah, I believe that. I I know that. I'm going to live like that. Or we hear some truths from this incredible sermon that Pastor Ryan preaches every single Sunday. (laughs) And we think we leave church and we're holding on to these concepts in our head, these amazing truths in our heads, and we think, I'm going to stop doing that or I'm going to start doing that good thing. How long does that urgency last? Does it make it to lunch? Maybe a couple hours, maybe Friday night. And so here in 1 John, John talks about the importance of attending, paying attention to not only the things that we think, but attending to the desires of our heart. One of my favorite bands is a group called Mumford and Sons, and they have a lyric in a song that goes like this. In these bodies you will live, and in these bodies you will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Jesus said the same thing. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. And if you invest your heart in treasures that are passing away, that moth and rust destroy, as Jesus says, then you also will pass away with them. And the call here from John in these verses is to be sure that your desires line up with God's desires. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God, the man who wants what God wants, who wills what God wills, that man lives forever. So I want to talk a little bit about fighting these battles, fighting the battle of our minds and fighting the battle in our hearts. And the first thing I want to say about fighting these battles is that we need one another, we need one another. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. John writes this little poem about the church. It's this beautiful little poem, and he talks about different age groups in the church and about the different strengths that each group brings to the table. Dear children, I write to you because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, that is, elders, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you. John describes these three different groups of people the children, the young men and the fathers. And ladies, don't worry, you are included here. The, men, the women listening to and reading John's early letter would not have been offended by gender-exclusive language. They would have known that they are included in this. There are three groups of people, the children, the young men and women, and the elderly men and women. And John writes these little poems, this short little poem about these different groups, and he gives them each a challenge and an encouragement. And what he's saying to each group is that God is at work in you, and that each group comes with certain strengths that they offer to the entire church. Children have this very simple faith. They know the Father. They have this very simple, simple faith. Uh, Just yesterday, I was reading... Um, The Berenstain Bears Say Their Prayers. Okay, that was uh, the bedtime book with with Evie and Joy. And in this book, um, Brother Bear was playing in a baseball game, and he was up to bat at the very end of the game. His team was down one run, and he was up to bat, and his sister was on second base. And uh, Brother Bear prayed, God help me hit a home run. Brother Bear struck out. And so we talked about that, and at the end of that, uh, Brother Bear obviously learned from a friend of his about what it means to pray and that God always answers our prayers. And at the end of that, I said, I said um, Joy and Evie, what does it mean that God didn't answer, um, answer brother, <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna cry, I didn't mean to do that. I um, said, so what does it mean that uh that Brother Bear prayed, but that God didn't answer the prayer in the way that he thought. And Evie said, well, it's because God knows what we really need. Children, you have faith. You have known the Father. Young men and women, you have strength. You have energy. You have overcome the evil one. Fathers and mothers of the faith, those who are elderly, you have wisdom and experience and a long history of God that the church needs. And so if we're going to stand strong in the battle, you need to be here. We need you. You need the faith of those children. Youth, when you come forward and pray, it is a blessing to this church, reminding us of that eagerness that all of us had in our early days of faith where we come forward and we pray seeking God. It helps us, reminds us to not forget our first love. The church needs the strength and energy and vitality of young men and women who are able to do the work and also have some of the experience that's needed to do it. And we need the wisdom and the experience of the er- elderly men and women who have stories about God's faithfulness so that when we're in the midst of trials and our life is in upheaval, we can come and we can hear your story about when you were in a trial and God brought you through it. The church needs one another. You need The church. Don't leave the battlefield. We need one another. Secondly, as we fight this battle, we need to abide in Christ. We remain in Christ. We continue in Christ every day. We seek every single moment to abide in Him, to be with Him, to stay with Him. We abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in something? You can abide in anything. And the truth is you are going to abide in something or in someone. You are going to give your attention. You are going to give your time to something. Do you want to know what abiding looks like? The average American watches five hours of TV every day. That is some serious abiding. The average smartphone user spends two hours a day looking at their phones. That is abiding. What does it mean to abide in something? It is giving your attention, your efforts, your thoughts, and your reflections to something. And here's the truth. The thing that you abide in, those things that receive your attention and time, they will also receive your heart. The things that receive your attention and your time, those things that you abide in, they will also get your heart. What you abide in will shape your heart in a certain direction. And if we are not diligent about what we are choosing to abide in, we will find that our desires, what we want, will not be what we want to want. Right? we're abiding in those things, we will find that our desires are shaped in such a way that we're going to desire things that we don't want. Psalm 1, the very beginning of the Psalms, that big, long book in the middle of the Bible, Begins talking about two different ways of life, the blessed man and the wicked man. And it begins like this Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That's a description here of someone who is abiding. If a, a wicked man is one who walks and stands and sits in the counsel of those who, are, who don't know the truth. And the blessed man is one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. So I want to encourage you today as you consider what it means to abide in Christ and to consider the fact that we have a battle for our minds as well as for our hearts I want you to consider the rhythms of your life. Simply write that underneath, abide in Christ. Write, rhythms of my life, question mark. What are the rhythms of my life? The things that you do routinely, maybe even without thinking. James K. Smith uh, is really doing some great work. He's a theologian and author. He's written a book more recently called you are what you love. You are what you love has been very helpful for me as I've been thinking about this idea about our hearts and the way that our hearts are shaped. James K Smith, you are what you love. You are what you love. And he says this about the rhythms of our life. He says the rhythms of our lives are not only things that we do, but they also do something to us. That's pretty good. The rhythms of our lives are not only things that we do, but they also do something to us. If the rhythm of your life is wake up, grab your phone, check Facebook, check email, check Twitter, brush your teeth, grab your phone, check Facebook, check email, check Twitter, eat breakfast, check email, check Facebook, check check Twitter, that rhythm is going to shape your heart in a certain direction. If the rhythm of your life is marked by the shows that you watch every night, you know it's Monday because that's on. You know it's Wednesday because that's on. That rhythm is going to shape your life. And if we are going to be unashamed at his coming, we must abide remain in Christ. The rhythms of our lives must be marked by Him, not by some other thing. This week I came across a book that's coming out soon. I'm really looking forward to to ordering it. It's called Every Moment Holy. And it's a book that offers prayers for common everyday events that we engage in, usually without thinking about how God might be involved in that thing. And so they have one that's a prayer for husband and wife at the close of the day. Or a prayer for feasting with friends. A prayer for watching a sunset. A prayer before the lighting of the first hearth fire of the year. And then there was one about prayer for consuming media. A prayer for before you consume media. And it's long, and I'm going to read some of it to you because it's wonderful. So this is a prayer for before consuming media. O discerning Holy Spirit, who alone judges all things rightly, now be present in my mind and active in my imagination, as I prepare to engage with the claims and questions of my culture, Incarnated in the stories that people tell. Let me experience mediums of art and expression not as a passive consumer nor as an entertainment glutton but rather as one through such works who through such works would be more fully and compassionately enter this ongoing human conversation of mystery and meaning, wonder and beauty, good and evil, sorrow and joy and fear and love. All truth is your truth, O Lord, and all beauty is your beauty. Therefore, use human expressions of celebration and longing as catalysts to draw my mind towards ever deeper insight, my imagination into new and wondering awe, and my heartbeat into closer rhythm with your own. Shape my vision by your fixed precepts. And tutor me, Holy Spirit, that I might learn to discern the difference between the stories that are whole, echoing the great narrative of your redemption and those that are bent or broken, failing to trace accurately the patterns of your eternal thoughts, and so failing to name rightly the true condition of humanity and of all creation. May the stories I partake of in the ways in which I engage with them, make me in the end a more empathetic Christ-bearer, more compassionate, more aware of my own brokenness and need for grace, better able to understand the hopes and fears and failings of my fellow human beings so that I might more authentically live and learn and love among them, and to the end, that all of our many stories might somehow be more beautifully woven into your one great story. What if we pause before every TV show and prayed a prayer like that? What if we did not allow ourselves to listen to talk radio until we prayed that God would shape our vision to his fixed precepts? What if we refused to log on to Facebook until we prayed, be present in my mind and active in my imagination as I prepare to engage with the claims and questions of this culture? This is what it means to abide, to allow Christ to mark our days and to mark our ways, to allow Christ to be the one who shapes our heart as we engage our world. So as we engage this battle, we need one another And we need to abide in Christ by being attentive to the rhythms of our life because they are shaping us in one way or another. And I wanna say finally, to end where we began, as we fight this battle to remember that Christ is coming. Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Our Lord is returning. This is the last hour. He is coming to bring his justice and his reign more fully and completely in our world, and not only in our world generally, but in your particular life. Are you ready? Are you praying for it? Is this readiness for Christ's arrival, does it move you? Is it moving to be prepared and to give care and attention to your life like the five wise bridesmaids who are ready when the time of the wedding feast? Are you maintaining the oil in the lamp by your own daily attentiveness to pursuing truth and also being attentive to the desires of your hearts and asking whether those desires are leading you toward him or toward something else? As you fight this battle, may you remember that we need one another that daily may you abide in Christ and may you pray for and remember that he is coming back to make things right again. Amen.